Welcome, everyone, again, to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. And I have a guest with me today, which is always fun. It doesn't happen all that often. So I'm really excited to have Emily with me today. Emily Pennystone, love your name, by the way. It's just There's just something so happy about that name. Um, but Emily, I met her through my Facebook group. Uh, we did some coaching together, and she has transformed her life. And she wanted to come and share her story and how she got there because she knows how much value that would be for all of you. And I was a resounding yes, because I love hearing success stories, happy stories, and so on. So welcome, Emily. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. And honestly, just the fact that I'm here able to speak about this topic is such a testament to the blessing and the healing that has happened in my life since my divorce. So I just feel so grateful to be at this point in my life. I wish my past self just even a few years ago could like be this today and know, you know, that I was going to someday be on a podcast, being able to share about these things. So I'm just, I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. And it's a testament to your growth and your healing, of course. And just before we go on, let me just do a little bit more of an introduction. So Emily has, since going through her divorce, become a, a mindset and intuitive coach. She's also a mother, an entrepreneur, an artist who helps women and entrepreneurs restore their relationship with their self, trust so that they can begin the legacy work that they will be known for. She uses her intuitive gifts in her mentorship course, Master Your Fate, to support transformations that feel like a homecoming. Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Blessing in Divorce. I am so grateful to be allowed into your headset and day today. My name is Elizabeth and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner and founder of The Separation Club, which is the club you never wanted to be part of, but the best club to be in if you're going through separation and divorce. Here we talk about how to heal, move forward, and find love if you're so inclined. Also, motherhood through divorce, finding yourself, and creating the life you deserve. Our tools are community, sisterhood, honesty, vulnerability, spirituality, and coaching, and that's when we aren't talking to our experts. I'm also a divorced mother of four adult sons, remarried, and a stepmom to three, so we will be talking about everything that goes with all of that here. If you are recently separated, thinking of separating, divorcing, or even beyond your divorce, but still feeling it, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, everyone. Self-trust, what an amazing um, subject. And uh, it's such a big part, actually, of the journey that that the women or anyone actually coming out of this has to go on. And depending a little bit on why the marriage ended, no matter what, I think we all on some point sit back and go, how could I make a mistake? Or how did I, did I choose the wrong person? And we question our own inner judgment of, of people and how we've chosen our lives. And I, I'm guessing that that's partly where that inspiration for you came from to work yeah. on self-trust. Absolutely. Like that, um, it, it was one of the most disorienting, uh, experiences coming out of that and really questioning my judgment, questioning even things down to like my memory and like my beliefs, even around what love and relationships were. So it was a complete 
disassemblement of, of all of those systems of belief and the process of restoring that and rooting back in and remembering like my deep truths um, and, and extending so much compassion to myself through that process has been has been so incredibly powerful in restoring my sense of self-trust. And, and I feel really grateful for that journey so that I could be to the place that I am now in regards to that and then extending that farther into supporting other people in that restorative journey as well. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought up compassion for yourself. Um, you know, self-compassion is one of those things that's actually really hard to do and it's to just allow yourself to be where you are. That to, that to me is sort of what self-compassion is. It's just, this is where I am now and that's okay. In fact, I'm doing great right now where I am and with where I'm traveling to instead of beating ourselves up because we haven't reached whatever the goal is. Now that's self-compassion, but help me uh, or help rather define self-trust to our listeners, please. Mm, that's such a good question. I do believe that it is closely related to maybe self-compassion holds self-trust. It is is to me a process of collecting evidence that I am in fact reliable and that I am in fact um, somebody, somebody that can hold me and that can make decisions for me. And, and a lot of times I, especially people who have gone through divorce, their self-trust takes a massive hit, like we've already touched on. Um, But what I've found is that when I really took the time to, to comb back through that experience, I saw parts of my inner truth and my resilience peeking through, even in like the most dire times and the Mm -hmm. times I felt I had abandoned myself completely. And so even when I look back at you know, the years I spent, you know, experiencing unhappiness or or abandoning myself or not, not living up to my potential or fill in the blank for you. I can still see parts of myself peeking through that was saying, ah, this isn't quite right. Or wait, I really have this deep desire, even though it might've gotten squashed or I might've pushed it away. I was like, oh, I have evidence that my integrity, my character was still trying to peek through this entire time. Yes. And, and leaning, leaning into that evidence, really collecting that evidence, no matter if it was the tiniest little seed, I think I think has um, is such a, a big component of restoring self-trust. Self-trust to me is a remembering. It's a remembering yourself. It's a returning to yourself. Um, I don't I don't believe that we're like put on this planet you know, we're, we're, we're put on this planet, I believed with a sense of like being intact with ourselves. And we learn all these different ways to separate from ourselves. And so self-trust is this act of remembering. And that's why I use the word restore. It's restoring the, the truth of uh, who, you know, you are and, and, and rooting into the, the, the knowing that the love, the support, the approval that you seek that you deeply, truly seek, it comes from, is from you. That's it exists like what inside us. For. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and I, you know, I think it's, there's so many things like you mentioned that pull us away from that truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even down to when we were children, whether we were encouraged to, to understand why we wanted to do things or if it was just shut down because that's not how we do things around here. 
And having said that, that actually leads me so excellently into your past a little bit. Um, I have to admit uh, to my listeners here that one of the reasons I was really happy to speak with Emily today, because I love bringing in stories that are a little bit different, because very often in the group when somebody comes in, I'll get a, a, a private message and it'll say something like, um, I don't think you'll have heard a story like mine before. And nine 99.9% of the time, I have heard a story like that before. The reality is we're all going through the same thing. The The narrative and the exact details might be a little different, but we're going through the same inner journey um, to heal. And you come from a, a religious background, a, a very sort of, um, I'll let you describe it. But along with that came truly a deconstruction of you know, who you had been taught to be and the way that you had been taught to live, that it really had nothing to do with honoring your inner values or integrity or, you know, what you believed in. You were told what to believe, if I'm correct. Yes, you are. Like most of us, I will say, but you probably more than most of us. (laughs) So tell us about that, your childhood. Mm -hmm. And, and how and, and, it, Sorry to interrupt you. I'll just say, tell us a little bit, please, about your childhood and how it played in to how you chose a partner. Um, and I guess we can get into the, the other stuff after. So, so let's start there. <laughs> yes. Awesome. No, this is such a powerful question. And I love the kind of connection between my experience with divorce and also my just experience in childhood and in this religious system. And I do want to real quick speak to that the sentiment that you shared about um, we so often feel like we're so alone in our pain and in our experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's easy to be like, yeah, well, you can, it's easy for you to say that you healed, or it's easy for you to talk about self-trust because you didn't experience this, or I'm unique in my pain in this way. And that does us a huge disservice because it separates us from being inspired, really. It separates us from feeling like we too can have that, whatever it is, fill in the blank. It separates us from hope. Yes, yes. So I love that you drew attention to that. And I hope my story um, really encourages your listeners and that those that feel similarly or, you know, that they just feel really seen, I guess. But um, to answer your question, I grew up in a in a fundamental uh, evangelical Christian upbringing. Um, my parents were missionaries and church planters. So I, I was we were not attendees. We were the church, you know, Um And it was so, so deeply ingrained into my psyche just from the early age. And there were roots of like um, Baptist beliefs. So it was a lot of that hellfire and brimstone, very scary stuff. Uh, I was afraid of for my eternal soul ever since I can remember. Um, And so, you know, I experienced a lot of... uh, as many people who who grew up with that belief system experiences a lot of fear of damnation and it can be incredibly crippling. So um, my whole life was formed around how can I, how can I not end up in hell? Uh, and then how can I behave in a way that this God will approve of and hopefully let me into heaven and, and, and these things like that. And, and that I, <laughs> I just, man, did I play by the book when I say I did not, I did not do anything bad or I think the worst thing I ever did was like, maybe kind of sass my mom a tiny bit (laughs) when I was a teenager. (laughs) And I think, you know, probably for many years, it wasn't even a consideration to go against it. There was just, you were raised that these are the rules. This is what happens if you don't. And so this is what we do. And 
I would imagine, like I said, for many years, you never even considered rebelling or going against. It was just not an option. It It was was not even, it didn't exist in you to do that. Yeah, I agree. And, and I was the middle child. Uh, I had, I had, I have three siblings and some of them rebelled and stuff. And I looked at that and I was like, I can't do that. I can't (laughs) also do that. Um, So I really, I really played by the book. And in my mind, I was planning on just being a missionary. And the thing, the thing that was so, you know, that I experienced some grief around is that during those years, the like, you know, your late teens and early twenties, when you should be like dreaming about like, what, what lights you up in this world? How do you want to show up? What, you know, what, what excites you? What do you want your work to be? You know, these kinds of things. I wasn't thinking about any of that. I wasn't thinking about what I wanted for my life. I was thinking about how can I be best of service to God? And that was by being a missionary and hopefully dying on the mission field, right? Because like, what better way to prove that I was a, uh, an upstanding Christian than to like, give my life for my faith. And so from being a teenager, my plan was to die for Jesus. And like, that is not a plan for living. Let me tell no. you. <laughs> and I would imagine like at the time, as much as, you know, you say now, you know, I didn't have a chance to dream or do those things. I would think at the time you probably, you were told that that was your dream, that that, that is everybody's dream. That is what you dream for. That is what life is for. I would, I would imagine there was some um, learning or behind that. <laughs> Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Cause I was my, you know, my parents were missionaries. I wanted to follow in their footsteps. Yeah. I wanted to save people. I thought it was saving people's souls. Like yeah. that's really heavy. I felt that responsibility on that's myself. Huge. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So that's how you were raised in this mm-hmm. environment. And I'm sure there were some pretty strict guidelines around marriage. Um, I would imagine there was no sex before marriage. Um, yeah. Marriage. Was, yeah. And I, Often in these, and correct me if I'm wrong, often in these kinds of communities and and inside these religious groups, it's getting married is a responsibility, like it's a duty, it's something that you're meant to do to have children, I would say, like, is that correct? Yeah, so there are certain belief systems in the evangelical Christian world that it's really heavy on like, marry and have lots of kids. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up quite in that, but I did grow up with like the, the purity, like the puritanical belief systems. Um, so it was very much like no sex before marriage, masturbation was evil, you know, even like dating and stuff like that. I was the, I kissed dating goodbye era. Anybody who grew up like I did is like nodding their head right now. And they know what I'm talking about, but it, it was very much like, I, I was married to Jesus. And then someday there was going to be a man that comes along that embodies Christ and, and he will be my husband. The thing that, that is common in this belief system is people getting married very young yeah. um, because they're not, you know, no sex, no really dating. Uh, and so when I, you know, I, I had moved um, away from my home and where I grew up to another state to be part of this church planning operation. And there I met this boy that really like thrilled me. And, uh, cause he was kind of rebellious and, you know, I thought that was really cool, but he was, was part of the church. And he, yes. And his parents were also church planters, very much part of the a very, very similar upbringing. And anyway, I, I we we met and and less than six months later, we were married and we were both 20. Um, and so 
I, that, that is, that is very much like a product of that belief system, the, the getting married really quick. Oh my gosh, this is my soulmate, you know? Um, and then we went from, we got married and we went onto the mission field. We like, didn't even really have a honeymoon or anything. We, we didn't have anything. We had our suitcases and we went to Switzerland and Thailand and we were in like Scotland and Ireland and then ended up in upstate New York doing this missionary work until we were so completely burnt out um, by being really abused by the leadership there. And we we meant well, like um, we really like we're trying to do the right thing. But in looking back on how I don't want to go too deep into the story because it is a painful story for me, mm-hmm. but um, go how, how we started, we were not like, we didn't begin in a way that I think was really setting us up for, for a lot of success was, which, which causes me to have a lot of grief. Um, because we were, I was so, I'd never, I'd never even kissed a boy before. He yeah. was my very first kiss. <laughs> like there was no context for relationship and what that should look like outside what our parents did. And, and so it was just a really challenging thing. And then you throw in a couple kids and you throw in a bunch of stuff and us growing and evolving over the course of 14 years. Um, and, and, it, and it, you know, it, it was getting to a point where it was unraveling, you know? Well, um, now I know you, you, the two of you left the church at some point, correct? And, yeah, so and what, how far into your marriage did you do that? And, and kind of what, what pushed you to do that Yeah, without that, going into too much detail, but yeah, just Sure. The, the, um, the abuse from the leadership that we experienced in those first several years caused us to question a lot of things. Cause we were seeing hypocrisy. We were seeing all sorts of things that made us be like, this isn't what we are taught. Like, this isn't what we are supposed to do as Christians. And, and so my, um, my husband at the time, he, he kind of went first, he opened that door first and was kind of like, I, you know, this is it unraveled for him first. It was very scary for me to follow. But after I had my first child, when I was 24, um, I, I started asking the questions myself. Uh, and can I just say like that deconstruction process from when you have been indoctrinated since a child is it's completely life shattering. Like you, I, I felt so completely disassociated from what I thought reality was. And it's one of those things. It's like, unless you've been brainwashed and come out of that, it's really hard to conceptualize what that process actually is and how challenging it actually is. Um, and so it was terrifying. I had a newborn baby I was deconstructing. I didn't know what I thought or believed about anything. And, and truly like, and this is, this is, um, that deconstruction, my two daughters and that deconstruction process was, were my three greatest gifts from my marriage. Um, and I, and I do have so much gratitude for my partner for walking beside me during that really, really, um, really challenging time and confusing time. And it just was, that was such an amazing gift from that relationship. Um, and so when, when I started the deconstruction process and we did, we just started deconstructing our entire belief systems about what we thought the world was, including our marriage. Um, and it just, that just kept going. And it was, it was, uh, I mean, we lost a lot of friends. Our community was the church. Our family was the church. And, you know, like feeling like we were losing them. We were not 
we were not part of a, um, we were not like excommunicated or anything like that, which I feel so, so much gratitude for um, that even, even though we were no longer subscribing to the belief systems, our, our families still loved and, and cared for us as best as they could, which a lot of people who leave, who leave really like, um, heavily indoctrinated belief systems don't have that they get they get completely excommunicated and that is like such a tragedy so yeah no for sure and I am very glad that your family was essentially I guess allowed to continue to have contact with you and and have a relationship with you you know I think you know it's not everybody who has to deconstruct, let's put it that way, comes from a necessarily an evangelical Christian background like that. It could be other religions and cultures as well. Like there are many cultures in this world and countries in this world where divorce is just not really an option. You you get married for life and that's it, regardless of what that marriage um, encompasses, whether it's abusive or completely dysfunctional or unfaithful or whatever, or just not working, um, you say that leaving is not an option. And I know I've spoken to many who, who come from that. So they, you know, they really, they have to often on their own when they realize their marriage is just not working for whatever reason, they often on their own have to go through that journey that you said you got to do with him to some degree, because, um, their family won't talk to them because they're considering it. Like they just will not accept that that's the path. Of course, their partner is not in agreement with it. And so they're actually going on this journey themselves and women, especially. Um, and I think it, yeah, it must be such a challenging and awful journey. And uh, thank you for bringing light to like how challenging that is to, to let go of everything you've ever believed in and everything you thought you believed. in. that's the thing too. It's not just, you know, I'm disappointing them, but like, what do I believe now? Because I don't believe what I was taught to believe for the first 20, 30, 40 years of my life. I don't know that I believe in that anymore, but then where do I go? Like, where does my heart go? Where does my mind go? Where does my anything go? Right. And I think if you've been raised in a culture where you were never taught to ask yourself what's important to you, to learn your own value system to discover your own integrity through trial and error with friends and relationships it's a scary scary world to do that um and an unforgiving world a world that moves really really fast and there's people who take advantage of you and when um you know when the two of you went through it i mean i can i can understand why you see so much value in uh or feel so grateful i should say for for his part in in helping you through this because you didn't have to actually go through a lot of it by yourself you had someone to do it with who was doing it with you um now i know the two of you also chose uh a path that that's different than many would choose and i just want to again we're not going to make that the topic today we'll do that some other time but uh the two of you at some point became polyamorous and at where at what stage did that happen and just if you can just very briefly again you know how did that happen out of everything you had come through. Right. Yes. So when we deconstructed our faith system, we, um, it, it trickled into really uh, evaluating our relationship and our marriage. And so several years after that, we also kind of were experimenting with the idea of non-monogamy um, because we were like, why, why are we adhering to any of these belief systems, including monogamy? Like everything, everything was up in the air. Yeah. And so, um, 
and then I think especially from like the background and it, that we came from without, you know, especially on my end of not having any experiences or doing any exploration in that realm. And as far as like uh, relationships and sexuality, I was questioning my, my sexual orientation. Like there was like so many things at play that I'd never looked at because it was like, okay, well, my entire structure for looking at reality has completely disassembled and let's look at everything. And so no, there was like, no stone was left unturned kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I, <laughs> you know, being able to navigate. And I have, I have many friends that, that, um, you know, and, and, and I think especially these days, non-monogamy is becoming more and more like widely accepted and known and talked about. And I have lots of friends that have successful non-monogamous relationships, but it takes an incredible amount of, um, communication and strength within the relationship and, and being able to know yourself and talk about boundaries and talk about desires and all this stuff that, to a level that I don't know most people are able to communicate in their relationships. Mm -hmm. And so it was something that I was hoping that maybe we could, we could get to, but it, it ended up being something that was pretty destructive in our relationship. Yeah. I, I remember speaking with you back then and just, there was a lack of trust. So the trust had been broken around the rules that you two had created for this relationship. If I understand, if I remember correctly, Yes, it was in, in a uh, nutshell, in a nutshell, I'm sure yeah. there's a lot more to it, but yes, there, there is there, there's so, there's so much there's so there's actually that is an entire can of worms. But yes, when that when you're feeling like uh, hurt and, and like trust has been broken and, and, and feelings of betrayal and feelings of, um, you know, just uh, not actually seeing each other mm. anymore like truly witnessing each other uh it, it just like it doesn't work it doesn't work in there at all like it, it's that's one of those things that works as like uh <laughs> either it's your entire philosophy or as it works as like a cherry on top kind of thing you know um when you're already feeling very strong in your relationship and so it definitely uh was something that was very destructive and that um ultimately like began uh, uh, the deconstruction of our entire marriage and yeah. it, it eventually led into divorce and there was so much more at play and it's been um it's been a, a deep journey of me really recognizing the areas where I abandoned myself you know and and how much that played into this whole process um and and then it's been this this journey of uh restoration and really truly never never ever abandoning myself again <laughs> you know so tell me Tell me how you discovered or learned or um, came to came to embrace that, you know, I need to be there for myself, because that is not the focus, obviously, that you've been raised with. And as much as you were deconstructing, you were deconstructing in the middle of a marriage, in the middle of motherhood. And there was, I don't know, was there a mentor? Were there people there saying, oh, you got to focus on what you want and your dreams? Or was that kind of just coming to you on your own? Like, how did this journey back to yourself in a way um, happen? And I would imagine a lot of it happened probably through the healing after your marriage ended. So, but you didn't, you certainly did not have the tools from childhood. You didn't get them from your, you know, that community how did you embark on this journey and how did you get there? Share that <laughs> if you can. <laughs> my best friend, my, 
Oh, sorry. Sorry, I think it legged for a second there. Just for a second, yeah. Um, I have to shout out my best friend in the entire world, uh, Sarah Turner, for being by my side every step of the way. Uh, she was an incredibly uh, anchoring person in my life. She was like my person, you know, mm-hmm. through that process, and she was she was championing me to uh, choose myself. So I am so grateful I had a friend that, that didn't, you know, run away when things were hard, you know, and that she leaned in. Um, But, but I think even, so the thing that's coming to me in, in reflecting on that question is I felt like I just had so much fall away from me. So many of the things that I thought were certainty, my, my, my faith, right. My, my, my belief system fell away. Um, and, and then my, um, I, my mother had passed away a few years prior to my separation and, and she was like my rock, you know, she was gone. And then now here is like my soulmate is it's dissolving in front of me. And, um, I remember just feeling like every time I cling to something outside of me, it falls away. Like it, 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 it's not certain. None of this is certain. Um, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not even certain about tomorrow. And so I, I remember having this, like this really powerful, uh, you know, when you go down to the depths, right? Like you're at the bottom of the barrel Mm. and we all, any of us who've gone through a divorce has their moment where they're laying in the grass, you know? I remember I had my moment laying outside at night, crying into the lawn Mm -hmm. and and just having this, having this moment of realizing, and and it wasn't like this flash, aha, it was definitely something that gradually kind of came to me, but it was, it was recognizing that I am the only thing that's certain in my life is how I show up for myself. Yeah. And that I can't, I cannot rely on anything or anyone or even any system or, or anything outside of me to make me feel safe. And if I want to experience safety, my whole life was clinging to, oh, okay, this belief in Jesus is going to make me feel safe. Okay. My mom and my dad are going to make me feel safe. My marriage is going to make me feel safe. My children are going to make me feel safe. My Mm -hmm. friendships, they all, it all like changes and falls away or disappoints you. And if you're, if you're going to just look to to determine your well-being and your sense of safety in your life based on external things, you're always going to feel like at any moment the rug can be ripped out from underneath you and you're going to be back at the bottom of that barrel. Yeah. And, and, and I think I really began to realize that I, I need to rely on my. I need to build that resilience, that self-trust, because I know that I can be certain for me and I can show up for me. And even when I screw up and even when I don't do what I say I'm going to do and I break promises I make to myself, I still have the power to get back on the horse, right? To do to better, to do it again. again. Yeah. To do it again and to continue to build that trust. So yeah. so that that that's like what I would say to that question. And I how think I that's, would... it's, a, it's an amazing answer. And I one thing I, I found myself wanting to draw attention to, because you said, you know, you realized that you had to be there for yourself. There was really no one else that you could ever truly, truly count on except you. And I think, yes, you're right. I think um, most anyone who goes through divorce, male or female, honestly, um, learn that lesson because we all think when we get married that, oh, I, you know, I have a person now who will take care of me. 
And, you know, to some degree they will, but you're absolutely right. And for a lot of people that feels very sad. It feels very lonely and it feels very, um, yeah, like there's just, I can't trust anyone. I can't believe in love and, and maybe this is just not available to me. And I, I feel like they so miss the mark. And I talk about this so much. It's not sad to count on yourself. It's strength. And it's, it's having that, that faith in yourself means also believing in yourself. It means taking risks. It means, I think I can do this. If we think that all our safety and all our grounding and all our love and everything that we need is outside of us, then we're always waiting for somebody to give something to us. And it, it they'll give you some things. You'll get a lot of love. You'll get a lot of things, you know, whatever those things are. I'm not talking about material things, but, uh, experiences or whatever but it's ultimately if you can't count on yourself I don't know that you're ever even going to be able to truly trust everyone else because like you said suddenly it shifts all it takes is for someone to you know have an experience in their personal life and their focus comes off you and onto them as it should in that moment our children that we also expect them to give something that family feeling and all that unconditional love to us they grow up and they get married and they have children. Well, suddenly you've just moved right down the totem pole of importance, right? Like it's, I mean, I've gone through that in my life and it was really hard because I definitely expected my kids to give me that feeling. Um, but it isn't actually their job. It's my mm -hmm. job. And it's, um, I think we need to shift just like you did, shift our our perspective to understand that this is an empowering journey um, this is this puts you in the driver's seat. This means that you determine your life. This means that you show up for yourself. And then all the other stuff and all the other people and all the other experiences, they're still going to happen. But that's just beautiful icing on the cake. You get to mm -hmm. share yourself and share that life and share those accomplishments with these people who want to be part of your life. But your life never relies on that. They're there you will continue to be happy even if they're not there you'll continue to be productive you'll continue to be excited about life even if somebody falls away moves away passes away whatever it may be right so it's such an important realization and it's very much a journey that i like to take my clients on so i you know it's uh kudos to your friend for knowing um what to say to you to help you do that and seeing that in you and encouraging you to do it and kudos to you absolutely for i i get probably first trusting her so that you could learn to trust yourself yes. and i think that's where therapists and coaches come in is yes. and i've even said this to my clients sometimes can you trust that i believe in you for now and accept that i believe in you now and then with time you'll start believing in yourself but believe in that i believe in you can you do that and they're like okay, I can do that. I believe that you believe I can do this. Okay. So let's just start there. Let's just go with that. I believe in Elizabeth and she believes in me. It's just a place to start. And, and I think that's probably what your friend, maybe she didn't use those words, but that is essentially what she did. She yeah, showed her she belief actually, in you. I, I'm pretty sure she even used those words and she, mm. she said stuff like, do you think I'm lying to you? Like, yeah. I'm not lying to you when I say, I know you've got this and I know you're going to come out better. And she's like, just, it, so she said similar things. She's like, mm. you just trust and trust that I'm not lying to you when I yeah. say that. Yeah. Then eventually you're, it, it does it like it, like battery jump started my, my belief in myself. And I, and I love that, that you, you are doing work in the world where you're offering that to people because it is, that is like what our relationships and community is so 
like that is such an important element to be able to like lean on and rely on others when it's hard to see yourself clearly when you're in so much pain. It's, you know, it's so true. And I, I've lately been talking more about um, really having that community around you, that village, the sisterhood, you know, that there was a time and, and I think to some degree, you know, where you grew up, there wasn't originally way back when an intent to create that a place where um, there is always someone who can help you. There's always someone who can pick you back up and there's a community to support each other through hard times. It's just so unfortunate that so often in these communities, people get power hungry. They want things to happen a certain way. They get narrow minded and things go wrong. But I really believe that we were not meant to be solitary people. So as much as yes, we need to be empowered to know that we can trust ourselves and we can be everything we need for ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we don't need people. And I think what's, what sometimes happens is we become this island. It's okay, I'm fine. We build walls around their island and we cut off all the ties to all the boats. And we're like, I am an island. I'm a fortress, actually, over here by myself. I can do everything on my own. I'm not going to try anything new. I'm not going to do anything different. And I'm never going to leave my island. And no one's coming on it. And that doesn't work either. And I think, you know, it's uh -huh. really important to... Yeah, to throw the line out and say, okay, so I'm here on my island, I'm doing okay, I'm feeding myself and I'm coping, but I really like to hang out with you guys and hear what you have to say as well. And to like elect and to just be part of something of giving and taking, right? Like having people support you and supporting others. Like there's such a beautiful thing that happens when we allow that. But fundamentally, we first have to learn to trust ourselves. Yes. That that's such beautiful imagery. And the funny thing is, is like, that was my plan. My plan was to be an Island. Oh and yeah. Be such a fortress that nobody would ever hurt me again. Right. Yeah. That was yeah. like the golden plan. And there is something I think about the pendulation. And I, and I, I'm curious if especially people who have experienced a level of codependency do this pendulation where they're codependent and then they get annihilated and they're heartbroken through a divorce. And then they pendulate to this hyper independence, like, well, then nobody is ever going to hurt me again. I'm never going to open my heart again. There's something about that going through that process that was empowering for me, although it wasn't a place to stay, it was yes. a place to move through. So there was like this, this like kind of reclaiming my sense of personal power and mm -hmm. autonomy that was really important. And I, but I remember just being like, oh, I'm for sure, for sure, just getting my walls up forever yeah. until then, you know, this man waltzes into my life and ha gives me the most beautiful opportunity to soften into love again. And it was terrifying. But now being in this, beautiful, beautiful relationship that every day offers like another piece of healing. I I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I didn't stay in that fortress. And man, was there, were there times that I, I was so afraid and I wanted to run away because gosh, I can't, I can't open myself up to be hurt again. Like I can't, you know, survive that again. Mm -hmm. And so talk about like, like evidence to self-trust being able to lean into this almost like allowing my pain. It was like ultimately allowing the pain of my divorce to not harden me, but to actually soften me into so much compassion and love. Mm -hmm. And to, to a point where I, I am, I am soft and open to experiencing joy and love without the codependency of like, I have to have these things or else I'm not going to survive. Right. It's like a resilience. It's like, 
I have so much trust. I have built so much trust within myself and reclaimed my personal power and my sense of self to the point where now I can actually be softened into opening up to love and to joy without the fear that if this falls away, I don't survive it because it's like, I know I survive everything in front of me. Like yeah. I make it through. If I can make it through that, I can make it through whatever's in front of me. And I yeah. and I think, you know, I, I absolutely will get this question from people who are feeling ready to perhaps think about dating or, you know, they just talk about it and it's like, I just can't get hurt again. You know what? It's if you're going to make sure you never ever get hurt again, then you you can't open yourself up. You cannot leave your island. Um, but then that's a lonely life. That is a lonely and unfeeling and hardened life um, that cuts you off from experiences with people. And it's not just romantic love, but even just being around people. Yeah, we get disappointed sometimes. Bad things happen. People leave you for whatever reason. It, it's not just uh, romantic partners either, by the way, like friends. It can happen to a job, you know, our kids. Many different things can happen. And I think the most important thing that, you know, you've talked about today is learning that yes, that'll hurt. But I know now that I can survive that because I have the tools. So before we go today, because I already you've touched on so many things, we're going to be talking again. So everybody, just so you know, Emily's going to be back. But um, because I want to talk about how you got into dating, but we're just not going to do that today because it's a whole new topic and we're already getting, it is, it is. it's huge. And I would love to get into it. But could we maybe leave everyone with a few tools, some, um, you know, tips or whatever that you could share with them on like it's just something more specific how to regain some of that trust like just you know two or three things that they could maybe start doing now to start if they're sitting there listening to this going well how where do I start like where do I start in trusting myself and reclaiming myself that's such a good question <laughs> the, I, the thing that is coming to mind to me is to really take uh inventory and evaluate your own self-talk is is one of the best ways that you can start uh, restoring self-trust because if yes. your self-talk is modeling an abusive marriage or a critical parent yeah. or fill in the blank, you are there, you are essentially being your own bully and you're not going to be able to experience trust within yourself when you are bullying yourself. So if you, if you take time to really evaluate your self-talk and ask yourself, is this a lot in alignment with my values and my integrity as a human? Is this how I talk to other people? Is this how I treat my children? Mm-hmm. And the, most of us will be like, no, I no. actually don't even treat my worst <laughs> enemy like that. Yeah. It, that is an indicator that you've got some, like some ingrained uh, habits around yeah. how you speak to yourself. And and then, so then it's like, well, how do you do that? The best way is journaling. And how yes. I encourage all, all of my clients is this idea of stream of consciousness journaling. A lot of times when we journal, we approach it like we're writing our memoir that's going to be, you know, published post-mortem when somebody finds it in the attic. It, it, that does us a huge disservice when we're yeah. editing ourselves all the time. So being able to journal your stream of conscious thoughts, even if it's like I'm writing in a journal, whatever's going through your mind is going to start being able to bring awareness to your thoughts and what's actually happening in your mind. And then when you shine a light on it, you can see it, understand it, and then ultimately transform it. 
It yeah, it starts to make sense. I love that. It is so true. And I, I'm a huge, I mean, anyone who's listened to any of these episodes or worked with me in any capacity knows that journaling is just like the path forward. Um, and you're right, like I it's rare ever that I reread anything that I've written in my journal. It's not meant for that. It is meant as that day's whatever, either it's creation or it's unloading or releasing or um celebrating or something i'm doing it in my journal but it's just simply a i usually call it like a word vomit onto a page but it's whatever you want to call it yes it's just about about getting whatever stream of consciousness is perfect onto that that page um so you can become aware and when you start writing down negative self-talk like i'm not smart enough or i'm you know this or i'm not this or i'm too much of this we start to understand like, well, of course I don't trust myself or of course I don't believe in myself. Right now. I mean, I am myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, yeah. I know one tool that I share with my um, clients all the time when it comes to trusting yourself is making an appointments, making appointments and promises to yourself that you're going to keep. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of this for me comes from my days of being a personal trainer. Cause I used to do that for many years and work in sort of health and fitness and, and uh, well-being for women, self-care and so it was very much about, you know, oh, I guess I'm working out. We're, we're approaching January as we're recording this episode and New Year's resolutions. I'm going to work out every single day. It's like, no, you're not. If you haven't worked out every single day so far, you're not going to work out every single day. You're going to do that maybe for like a month and you're going to fall off the wagon and you're going to disappoint yourself because you're going to break that promise of working out every day. So it's important to be realistic. So let's just take journaling as an example. I am going to journal for five minutes a day. Or I'm going to journal two or three times a week. You just start somewhere and you keep the promise. And I think that's one reason why things like meditation is so such an important part of healing and learning to trust yourself. It's not just the act of meditation. It is the promise of meditating and actually doing it. That's so important. When you start to be able to say to yourself, when I make a promise to myself, I keep it. Mm, that is so powerful. That is such... That is such a like powerful way to, to begin building self-trust. And it's also the component if, and when I fall off the wagon, I get back on, mm-hmm. like it's making that promise to yourself yeah. as well. Yeah. And and there's, there's so much, for, I love, I love working with people around this self-trust yeah. component. And another thought that I would, I would offer with the journaling is some people, for some people, it's really supportive to record voice memos. Some people like have blocks around writing in their journals and things like that. I was one for instance, because it reminded me of my Christian devotionals. And it okay. actually was a bit of a trigger for me okay. to journal every day because I was forced to do that as a child. Yeah. And repent- God. And so a hack for me was making these voice memos, making it different. Um, But it it still served the same purpose where I was able to like express myself. I was able to bring awareness to my thoughts. I could even look at the transcript afterwards. So that, so give yourself permission to enter into a practice that feels in alignment with you. That gives you the ability to draw, bring awareness into like your internal narrative. Oh, I love that. I, and actually I, I, I haven't actually suggested voice memos before because that's a great idea. What I tell them sometimes is to read out loud what they've written mm-hmm. um, because our voice is so powerful and words hold, words 
provide almost like a witness to what it is that you're thinking when you because not only do you speak them but you hear them and you put this vibration out in the world of your words where you're declaring something whether it's declaring that you're releasing something or you're declaring that you're calling in something but it's a it, it is an out loud witnessing and declaration of you and your voice and our voice is literally the most powerful way that we can communicate with ourselves and the world what it is that we want and what we stand for and um so i i love that i think that's an amazing way even you know to do things like affirmations and because i do tell people to do affirmations like out loud in front of the mirror and people are like okay rolling their eyes like i'm not doing that elizabeth i'm like i want you in front of the mirror hands on hips and declaring how amazing like when you were saying i am affirmation we're not just going to stand and go i am beautiful I am healthy. I am worthy. That doesn't go anywhere. That doesn't go anywhere. I am worthy because I am a person who gives so much and blah, 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 blah. Like put something into it. And when you hear that voice expressed, because it comes back to you, now you can start going like, yeah, I, yeah. that's me. <laughs> so I think, I think that is such a powerful um, tool that you've shared with us. So thank you for that. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up. We've been talking a long time today and I try to keep these episodes a little bit smaller, but we are going to talk again. And before we go, um, I think you have something you wanted to share with everyone. So please, uh, how can they find you? And um, and what is it that you're working on these days? Yes. So um, what I'm working on and it actually flows so well into what we're talking about is I have a guided journal that's called self-talk and it's a process where you get to through stream of consciousness, journaling and prompts and exercises that I give you as well as guided meditations and different things like that. Um, go through my process for restoring self-talk that is in alignment with your values and your integrity as a human. And it is um, very soon to be released. And so you can find more info about that and more info about me and the courses I offer and all, all that other stuff on my website, which is emilypennystone.com. Uh, you can sign up for my newsletter if you want to be the first to know about the journal uh, and when it comes out. But I am it has been my 2023 passion project and it feels so, um, so wonderful to be bringing this into the world and for it to be a tool that so when somebody is like, yeah, I would like to have like loving self-talk, but how do I do it? Like, it seems so convoluted and confusing because it can be hard. It's that idea where it's, it can be hard to see the label from inside the jar, right? It can be yeah. confused. And so doing things like working with you in your coaching session or, 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 or having a therapist or going through a guided journal can be something that is- Or all three. Or all three at the same time. Yeah, mm -hmm. it can be so supportive. Uh, so if you're interested in that or learning more about me, you can check all that stuff out on my website. Um, yeah. but and we'll yeah, I'll put all of that below, okay. including your your own social media as well. So I'll put all the social media channels in the show notes um along with this episode so that you can find Emily and her website and all that information. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Like I said, I really think that we're going to be back talking again soon about some of these other things. I think we've already like opened the door to several subjects here that yeah. people would be interested in. So I thank you for your time today and for sharing so openly with my listeners. I know that they will enjoy this episode. 
Thank you so much for having me and holding space for my story and witnessing it and for just the support that you have been in my life these past <laughs> years as I've gone through my my this this journey. Um so I have I have so much gratitude uh for for this space and everything that you've created. Oh, I appreciate that. And it's you know, it for me to see someone come all the way through like you have and even just to see the pictures of you and your and your boyfriend and it's it makes me very happy because that's where I want everybody to get to. So uh, it's a success story and it's an ongoing story and we're going to keep teaching from our stories. So thank you again. And to everyone else, I wish you guys a beautiful day. And of course, stay tuned because I'm going to have more to talk about after this for just a couple of minutes, but we will be back. Thank you so much. Hi there. So what a great conversation. I love speaking with women who have used their, you know, a bad event, which in this case, you know, a divorce as a launch pad for something bigger and greater for themselves who grab onto the work. And, you know, we talk about the work, we talk about that a lot and what is it? And uh, I know a lot one just to kind of fall back on that. It just takes time and it does. It takes time to do the work, but it takes longer if you don't. And that's something I think is so important to remember. You do have some control here. And I know that was really important to me to feel like there was something I could do to impact my life when I felt like everything that I had known was being just pulled away from me without me being able to prevent that from happening. So kudos to Emily and all of you, all of you who are doing the work, meaning you are working with a mentor, a coach, a therapist, or all of those things, you know, journaling, exploring yourself, asking questions of yourself and of what you want out of life, and also daring, daring to step forward, daring to do the uncomfortable things, daring to ask the uncomfortable questions, to do the healing, to spend the money on the therapist or the coach, whatever it is for you. Um, I, I'm proud of you, uh, be proud of yourself and keep doing it. it. You know, for you, it might be small steps every day. For others, it's big steps, depending on where you are on your journey. But the most important thing, honestly, is to take steps. And, you know, one of those really big steps is learning to trust yourself, which is what we talked about today. So I hope that was helpful to you. I also want to just remind you uh, that there are so many resources available to you inside the separation club I mean that's that's what I'm here to do and I'm here to provide you with the tools that I either had and that helped me when I was going through it and also the tools that I wish I'd had which I've learned since then or just couldn't find them um, and all of that is available to you inside the separation club whether it is coaching and mentoring with me whether it is uh, just getting some support and to lean on other women who know exactly what you're going through inside the Facebook group or the membership, or if it's to celebrate yourself and to really step into your new life by coming to one of our retreats. The next one we have coming up is in, um, in Costa Rica in March 2024. We're going to be there from the 2nd to the 9th. And as I'm, rec as I'm recording this exact message to you, a single room has come available. Those are the most coveted. They go first, but something came up for one of them and now it's available. So if that's at all appealing to you, do not delay because this room will go fast. Um, there are also some other shared spaces available, um, which are cheaper, of course. So anyway, I will, of course, include all the links below. But until then, until we meet, whether it is on a Zoom call in coaching or in the Facebook group or at one of our retreats, I 
I'm here for you, I'm cheering you on, whether we've talked or not, I'm proud of the work that you're doing for yourself. Keep doing it, keep taking one step forward, keep tuning in, and um, and we'll get, we'll get there, we'll get there together. So until next time, have the most beautiful day.